1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 189 of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo, and I'm here with Alison Tate. How are you, Al? Well, I'm all right, but I do have the dreaded lurgy, which,
2: of course, anyone who's been anywhere on the east coast of Australia for the last couple of months probably knows Mm. what I'm talking about. Um, uh, So it's finally, you know, settled down. On my house,
1: oh. and everyone
2: has gone through it, so it's just been pretty horrible. A pox but is it's on only your a,
1: house. Sorry, oh. a pox is on your house.
2: There is a pox upon my house. It's <laughs> absolutely true. Fortunately, we are not poxy. We are simply, yeah. you know, snotty. But that's yeah. probably too much information for everyone. Um, right. But apart from that, I'm I'm fine. Totally fine. That's, Gear, that's gearing exciting. up and in the process of getting ready and in fact starting um, a new round of hashtag write a book with Al, which I know we talked about this only last week or the week before, I don't exactly remember, Um, and I said I wasn't doing that. Um, Well, now I am.
1: You've changed your mind. What changed your mind? Well, my
2: dear friend, Anna Spugger Ryan, who many yes. of our listeners will know is a very spectacularly beautiful writer, is yes. um, and her latest book, The Golf, which came
1: out, uh, I think it was May this year, is just which amazing. Which is going nuts and going it's getting nuts. so much press coverage and so many Isn't great it? reviews. Yes. I know.
2: Well, anyway, Anna has a deadline and she needs to create a new work and um, she was kind of like a bit meh about the whole thing and struggling a bit with writer's block and so we were having a chat and I said, oh, Anna, do we need to do write a book with Al? And she said, (laughs) you know what, I think we actually do. So here I am, peer pressured um, because, you know, really I I do need to write a book as well so it's probably good. And as we've talked about so many thousand million times and anyone who's done my Make Time to Write or Creative Writing Bootcamp will know that, you know, accountability is Mm -hmm. one of the most amazing drivers of getting a first draft done. So we are being accountable. There is a hashtag if you would like to join us, um, hashtag Write a Book with Al. Um, So if if there
1: are any new listeners, tell us what hashtag Write a Book with Al actually is, just in case there's some newbies.
2: Well, look, you know, it's a it's a fairly random sort of thing, but basically I write a book and and you just write alongside me. So, I will update on my Facebook page, that's the best place to actually join in the conversation, uh, which is at Alison Tate writer on Facebook. Um, I I just post every day what my word count was, how I'm feeling about things, and you know, I, and some days it's zero, like don't there's no pressure here. This is one of those situations where we all understand that This is a um, ebb ebb and flow situation with writing. Some days it's 2,000, some days it's two. Um, But I do try to write every day and uh, I will post my word counts and everybody sort of gets involved. And so there's a community vibe to it which, um, uh, you know, word on the street and the feedback I get is that it's incredibly helpful for, um, you know, adding to your manuscript and, you know, you either – get the whole book written or you don't. Um, I haven't actually put an end date on this one simply for the fact that August is an incredibly busy time for children's book authors. Um, we do have a lot of uh, school visits and, you know, I've got a couple of festivals to speak at and mm.
0: I've got a few things
2: on. So I'm, I'm aiming for around 50,000 words in six weeks approximately. Wow. Um, but, you know, it may stretch out to eight. Like I'm not going to be crying into my beer if it if it goes to eight weeks so yeah so Mm. if you want to jump on the hashtag please feel free to do so join in talk to other people who are also hashtag writing a book with al and um you know hopefully we'll all get to the point where we've got you know if not a an entire manuscript done then at least a good you know chunk of words on top um wow I know some people have told me who've actually done the creative writing boot camp or are in the process of it are mm-hmm. going to jump on the hashtag as well to kind of supercharge that 10,000 words that they're aiming to do in 30 days. Love um it. so there's yeah which I think is a great idea. So you know if you want to do the two things in tandem that's also an excellent idea. But um yeah so if you want to you know hang out with me and my lurgy and write a book with Al, please <laughs> be free. I make it and so the good thing
1: is you, you the good thing is you can do it in the comfort of your own home and you won't catch anything from Alison. No, you won't. I won't even breathe on you. It'll just be all at a distance,
2: which is probably the best option right now. Yes. Now, well, what
1: about is, you, Val? Well, what? that's very industrious of you. Um, about uh, me, let's see. I had the well, weekend Speaking off. of industrious, no, we know we need to go back a little. Speaking uh, okay. of industrious,
0: did yes. you or
2: did you not create an entire triptych recently that oh. went up on a wall that is now exhibited yeah. for the world to see? <laughs> So, Val, you know, because she's not – because, you know, rope art and resin art and Mm -hmm. painting art and all of those things are not enough, you're now creating enormous works of art
1: that are actually
2: being commissioned and put on walls, (laughs) exhibited.
1: Yeah, that's been uh, a little bit of a surprise turn in my life. So, one of the reasons I had (laughs) – yeah, and, and in mine, trust me yeah. <laughs> Well, one of the reasons I kind of had the weekend off uh, Was because I had a really busy uh, t- Seven to ten days prior to that Because this uh, commissioned artwork Was due to be installed last at the end of last week And yeah, that's been I, I was basically doing eight hours of my writing life And then coming home And then doing eight hours of my artistic life So it was a really busy week and I was quite sleep deprived but yes I did have a commission to create a triptych so that's three images and they were massive gigantic size of the wall kind of thing um for uh actually it was rain and horn lane cove new new office in lane cove so it's in commercial premises. So they got they got installed at the end of last week and I'm very happy with them and fortunately the client was very happy with them. And um yeah, it's it was a very very busy period. And um, one, it was I had to do 100% focus on my writing life and then 100% focus on my artistic life. And so I was exhausted by the end of the week. So, yes, a banoffee pie was involved. I was going to say that was my very <laughs> next question.
2: Was there banoffee pie? Did you eat the whole pie? Like I would have needed an entire pie
0: after that.
1: Well, I had the whole pie but I didn't eat it all in one go. I had one one night and one the next night. So I extended <laughs> the pleasure. <laughs> So I was very happy. That was my reward. But my other reward, which didn't quite work out, was that on Saturday night I decided to have movie night at home. And I love movie night because movie night we go to the um, – uh, the, the, there's a, a television in the bedroom and I get all comfy with my doona and everything and um, we sit on deck chairs if we want to. We bring the deck chairs into the bedroom. <laughs> Right. (laughs) So it's like outdoor movie night, so it's not outdoor. And uh, I I choose this, what I thought was going to be a great movie. So last time we did that, I watched Secret Life of Pets, which was really cute. I mean, even though it's a kids' movie, it was really fun. So Hmm. I thought I'm going to watch another kids' movie because I just want to just totally blank out after a really busy week. And so I thought I chose what I thought was a kids' movie. Oh, my God. Oh. Big mistake. Oh. So, people, what did you choose? Well, people are going to think I'm crazy if those people who already know, but I thought The Sausage Party was a kids movie. The Sausage Party doesn't even sound like a kids movie, Val.
2: (laughs) I don't even know what it is, and it doesn't sound like a kids movie. Or is
1: it. (laughs) Well, I don't know. I think I'm going to. I think I'm just too innocent or something. Oh. I'm sure it's called The Sausage Party. Um, yeah, The Sausage <laughs> Sausage Party. Well, <laughs> it, it grossed a lot of money overseas um, and it's got the voices of Seth Rogen and um, Kristen, uh, Jonah Hill and uh, Kristen Wiig and James Franco. Anyway, because all sorts of famous people do kids' movies these days. And I hmm. thought it was a kids' movie. It's, it was meant to be. I, I read in the little blurb that it's about a sausage who discovers his fate. And I thought, oh, okay, that could be really cute. Oh my god, so not a kids' movie. It's everything like what you think. It's R-rated. Like Val. I know. I only didn't know that when I chose. It. Oh, no. <laughs> I just thought there would be these anthropomorphic, you know, supermarket items, and they'd be really cute, and they would talk to each other about. You know, I don't know, whatever, the ingredients or something. But <laughs> oh my God, so <laughs> no. <laughs> it is beyond oh. rude. Every second word is that word, and every other second word is that other word. Okay. So big. Yeah. Mistake Week that word. (laughs) And Val's word of next week, that other word. (laughs) So it was all quite a shock. So movie night didn't quite work out because I got I went in there with all my pets and I thought, oh come on, kids, we'll watch this kid's movie. Were they
2: shocked?
1: Were they startled by what you were? Well, they were probably shocked more at the fact that I was going, Oh my god. Did they really oh. say that? Did they really oh. sing that? Oh. Did they really use that word? Well? Yeah, all these supermarket items that were oh, doing unusual dear. acts. Oh dear. Okay. Yeah.
2: Oh dear. I don't. Yeah, I don't know if I I was ready for that, Val. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad you shared. Heavens. All right. Moving on. Anyway, is, moving this on. This is Not
1: an R-rated podcast. This is actually no, about writing.
2: We should probably it's move about on. From writing.
1: Sausages and we will move on and we want to give a shout out yes it is about writing so we're giving a shout out to Nigel Writer so oh. Nigel Writer gave very kindly gave us a review on iTunes now Nigel Writer said These women crack me up with their banter. Aside from that, their down-to-earth advice about writing, their knowledge of the field, and their up-to-the-minute news and developments in the world of publishing are second to none. In the interests of transparency, I used to teach at Valerie's Australian Writers' Centre. I was also once a featured author in this podcast interview section. And, of course, that's Nigel Bartlett for his fantastic debut novel, King of the Road. Oh, yes, that's right. Um, Yeah, such a good – such a good – um, such a good novel. Um, having said that, uh, so this is Nigel. Having said that, as a published author and as a print and online writer with far more use experience than I care to admit, I continue to find this podcast invaluable. I often go back to listen to previous episodes while waiting for the next one to be released. Like many authors, I have a day job. I now write for government websites. And there are times when novel writing in my lunch break, uh, after work, and on weekends seems like a hard slog. I listen to this podcast in that day job and it keeps me going in my novel writing. Life. Thank you, Val and Al. Wow! Oh, Nigel, thank you so much, and best thank of luck so with your novel. Much.
2: I know how hard it is yes. to fit it in around everything else, but it's totally worth it. Particularly when you're mm. creating the kind of work that you did with your first novel, so King of the good. Road*. Is that it? Is
1: that yes, so good. Yeah, it
2: was amazing. So, thank you, thank you very much for the feedback, and thanks for the review because we do love a review. Um, it it does help us in the rankings, but you know what? It also just kind of keeps us going, doesn't it, Val?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, lovely. Thank you, Nigel. And, uh, yeah, thank you, Nigel. Really appreciate it. And if you have 30 seconds to leave us a review or rating on iTunes, we'd really be grateful because it does help us in the rankings. So <laughs> we also want to give a shout-out to an Australian Writers' Centre presenter, Kate Hennessy. Now, Kate Hennessy, during during the day, she teaches – Uh, business writing for us and she's a fantastic corporate communications uh, expert and she teaches people in business writing uh, essentials and professional business writing and she's one of our very popular presenters in the world of business and corporate writing but after 5pm something happens to Kate. (laughs) Uh, What
2: what happens to Kate? Is it like a vampire thing?
1: Yeah, she dons her, you know, bat mask and bat cape or whatever. Right. And she goes to a lot of gigs. So she's really into the arts and into music and uh, into a whole other world after hours. And -hmm. she writes about that as well. And, in fact, she writes about it so well she's become the first recipient of the Walkley Pascal Award for Arts Criticism.
0: Oh, so fantastic. congratulations
1: to Kate, yes. Yeah, well done, really, Kate. Fantastic. Round of applause. Yay. Round of applause, Yeah. So there you go. That's um, a f- couple of things happening to, mm. um, you know, pretty exciting stuff happening to the, some of the presenters at the Australian Writers' Centre. Mm. So let us move on to something totally different. <laughs> okay. What do we got? Uh, this is actually about Keanu Reeves. Keanu Reeves. That is different. <laughs> Okay. It is different. Oh, mm-hmm. uh, here's a. I have a soft spot for Keanu Reeves because one of my, my first ever published pieces a million years ago was called Chasing Keanu. Really? <laughs> and it was what, about. Did you chase, how did you chase, I chase I him all over Keanu. LA or something? <laughs> all
2: over America, yeah. Was he on a bus speeding through? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> speeding away. <laughs> Therefore, no, you couldn't you catch
1: not. him. <laughs> Chasing Keanu. So, okay. Mm but anyway, uh, Keanu Reeves has co founded an indie press oh. in America, and it's Poetry of the Asian American Experience. He's oh. co founded, uh, it's called X Artists Books, and it's a new LA based independent press that publishes unconventional interdisciplinary, I can't even say the word, interdisciplinary, hmm. interdisciplinary, and collaborative what? artists' books. So pretty exciting that he's yeah. uh, taking, um, you know, he's, he's taking the initiative to to go and do that because what we're seeing a lot of, I think, as well, Al, is the rise of independent publishers because it's something that is sure it certainly needs uh, money to start one, but it doesn't yeah. need as much as it used to. You know what I mean? Yeah, and no, that's right. Yeah, and because that it was so hard it it needed a lot of money for publicity and promotion before, but a lot of these things can be done right, the promotion, at a lower cost these days if you know what you're doing. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's good on Keanu for doing that, I reckon.
2: Yeah, I wonder so is there any kind of we got any news on why he's done it? Like what's the reasoning behind him doing that? Is it simply to it really publish, say. you know, because, you know, obviously diversity is one of the biggest, I mean, you know, I hesitate to call it a trend because I feel like that um, demeans it somewhat, but it's mm. um, it's certainly one of the biggest, um, you know, current pushes in publishing is this, you know, um, desire to get diverse voices into print and it sounds like that's something yes. that he has, um, you know, jumped right into.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, it ha- doesn't say in this article, which we- and we'll put the link in the show notes. It's in, uh, it's on the website Poets and Writers. It doesn't say exactly why he's done it, but you know, good on him for doing it. I reckon. Yeah, yeah,
2: definitely. Cool. Okay. All right. What else? What else? What you else? Got for yes, us,
1: Val? come on. I have a link from Reedsy, R E E D S Y, and I thought this was interesting because this is a straightforward post on what is a narrative arc. Because so often we hear about writers talking about, oh, we, you know, does it really have a strong narrative arc, or it does, it has a very weak narrative arc, or it doesn't have a narrative arc, and sometimes. I know this, there's some people who don't actually know what narrative arc means, mm. so I thought it was worthwhile uh, discussing it and also putting this link in the show notes. And of course, you can find the show notes at soyouwanttobeariter.com.au. So what this is, in broadest terms, the narrative arc is shaped by the beginning, middle, and end of a story. So you may be familiar with the one classic example of the story arc: boy meets girl, boy fails girl. boy boy gets girl again this may sound oversimplified and it is so it is basically what one of the things that it says is there's a difference between a narrative arc and a plot right Mm. so that's worthwhile discussing Um, and they say while the plot is comprised of the individual events that make up your story your story arc is the sequence of those events. Mm. So imagine every scene of your novel summarised on note cards. The entire stack of your cards is the plot, but the order in which you lay them out is your story arc. And I think that's a great explanation, don't you, Yeah, Art? definitely. I do, yes.
2: I do. This is the kind of stuff that when I get the simplest way to – because you don't even – like when I write, um, I don't really think about this stuff, like not mm. – not, you know, on, on a conscious level. Yeah. Um, and it's something that if you've read an enormous number of books, you kind of have in some ways an instinctive feel for because you mm. understand that, you know, you're setting up and then you have the rising action, which is where you have problem after problem after problem. You reach a point where it seems as though all is lost because, you know, it's all a massive disaster. <laughs> um, and then, you know, we win through, we have falling action, we have a resolution and, you know, it doesn't matter what story you're talking about, whether you're talking about, a, a, you know, a, an action thriller that just, you know, seems to hurtle through at 1,000 miles an hour or, you know, uh, uh, the slowest, most beautifully written, you know, literary work ever, they do all have – they all hit those plot points along the way yeah. um, in slightly different ways but they all do. And so one of the best ways to actually really get a handle on this stuff though is to explain it to kids. So <laughs> um, mm. when I – First was putting together um, one of the workshops I do, which is called Mapping Your Story, and I had to actually get this stuff out of my head, and you know, out of my instincts and into a really mm. simplified format to show kids um, that you sort of realise just how much stuff you actually know and also how sometimes you've really got to um, Google for the simplified version because, you, you know, it's got to come down to its most basic level when you're gra- when you explaining it to grade fives. Um, yeah. So I wrote a piece, I wrote a blog post about it called, you know, what, teaching kids about writing taught me about writing (laughs) Mm. (laughs) because you learn a lot of this stuff but you go to the classes and so they do in grade five they do a whole thing on what's called a story mountain and it's essentially Mm. this is how they teach um narrative arc in schools and you can find the basic story mountain illustration you know anywhere on the internet just basically google story mountain and there it'll be um but it's essentially what you're talking about inciting incident, rising action, climax, falling action, resolution. And it's all laid out as a mountain. And so they're taught that when they've got to write a story, their characters have to be introduced. They have to climb the mountain. They have to Mm. get to the point where it's terrible. And then they have to basically come back down the mountain again until everybody is satisfied. And um, yeah, it's, it's a really interesting and very simple way of looking at how to actually organise your story into something that will satisfy a reader because that's essentially what you're trying to do. Um, And stories do need to follow a certain pattern for readers to know where they are in the story and to feel like it's moving in the sort of general direction that they expect it to move.
1: Yep. Absolutely, and I think that that's um I think that's really interesting. It brings it, it reminds me just a slight tangent, but I just think this is such a good piece of advice that I got from you, Al. Even though it is a tangent, it reminds me of uh, when you have said that in the past you've had to try and understand and therefore write about and explain to other people complex subjects, mm-hmm. whether that's science or finance or whatever. Mm-hmm. I believe that you have then researched or googled. You know, whatever the topic is, explaining it to kids. For kids, absolutely. Always. Science for kids, or you know, nuclear fission for kids. Yeah, what this, yeah. Ne- you
2: know, whatever the question may be, I basically Google that with for kids at the end of it, and you will find out there the the, the simplest brass tax yeah. version of what it is that you're trying to do. Because once you understand the fundamentals like that, then you can build on those in whatever direction you want to do. But you know, you've got to get the dumb questions out of the way first. You've got to get in there and and um, really understand what you don't know before you mm. actually start to build on it. And so, I mean, I've never been afraid of dumb questions. And it's one of the pieces of advice that I always give You know, freelance writers who are starting out. Um, mm. Don't pretend you understand what an expert is talking about. If you don't understand it, say, I'm so sorry, I have no idea what you just said. Could you mm. explain that to me yep. in simple terms? Because yep. you cannot write it if you do not understand it. And yep. you can throw a quote in there that you think explains it but then an editor I can and let me tell you they will will come back to you and say I'm not really sure what you mean here can you just make that simpler and you're going to sit there going no because I don't know how to do that so ask the questions Mm. as you go don't be afraid of looking dumb because at the end of the day the psychologist or the finance you know investment finance guy it's their area of expertise it's not Mm. yours and they understand Mm. that so ask the dumb question it's always Definitely. the best way forward because you know pretending that you know doesn't get you anywhere.
1: Yeah, and never think, oh, I'll I'll listen to my audio recording later and I'll figure it out later. You will never figure it out later if you don't figure it out now. No, and then you'll end up mm. with that story.
2: Like I've had some, I've had some incidences, and not for a long time, obviously, but. Oh, you know where you're sitting there and you're trying to pull something together and it's, you know, it's a thousand words and it shouldn't take you that long to do and Mm. you don't understand, you can't quite get to the grips of what what it is you're writing. So it takes forever trying to get the hang Mm. of it and trying to work out what order the quotes need to go in. just takes forever. So, yeah, really ask the dumb question. It will save you so much time.
1: Definitely. All right, so the next thing I wanted to talk about was – now, even though I came across a um, – a link called Tips for Backing Up Your Writing on the mm-hmm. Writing Cooperative. I actually wanted to, go again, go off on a tangent and talk about something else, but related oh. to backing up your writing because it, I think that we've spoken about tips for backing up your writing in the past where, uh, you know, you save it to, onto your hard drive, obviously save it to an external hard drive, save it to the cloud, email yeah. it to yourself, do all of those things. But what I wanted to talk about because there are so many apps these days that sync and I just Mm. wanted to warn people and make sure that people um, get into best practice when if you're using apps that sync, um, sync across devices. So what I mean by that is synchronising across all of your devices, whether you've got a phone or a a laptop or a um, desktop, you might be using an app like Evernote or OneNote or even you might be using some syncing um, solutions with Scrivener or whatever. And that's fantastic because that means in theory that you can start your document on um, your 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 phone while you're out at the supermarket or at the gym or whatever. And then if you get home, you can continue on your desktop at the exact same spot because in theory it's synced. Well, the thing is that that works well if you don't turn your phone or desktop or device off before it's had a chance to sync because if you don't oh. then, yeah, then your the, the next device is going to think that it is the most up-to-date device and that hasn't got your new additions on it and that will be the one that syncs to the cloud which then syncs to your desktop after uh, you open it next time and that means you'll lose what you had before because it's actually syncing the wrong device. Oh. So whatever you do, make sure that you pr- – you and what i do is i manually sync so i will sync and then i will leave my device all right Just so let's to, let's give an
2: example you're okay. writing away in one note because you're out you know at the dentist whatever you're doing in the waiting room. Okay. So you're at the dentist. You're in the waiting room. They're taking ages. So you've decided you're gonna, you know, whip up your first five paragraphs of whatever you're working on. Yes. Now you go into the dentist, you need to make sure you sync before you turn off your phone. Is this what you're saying?
1: Yes. Okay. So, okay. for example, um, and usually people don't turn off their phones. So, uh, let's just say you were on your laptop instead, because you are All more right. likely to close your laptop, right? Okay. All right. Rather than leave it open while you're getting your. Oh, teeth well, let's imagine you're having cleaned. an X-ray then, and you have to turn <laughs> it off. Okay, sure. It, right. So if you're writing on your phone, you're going to have an x-ray and you have to turn your phone off. So what happens yep. is you're writing, 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 and because your phone or that app may only sync every five minutes, let's say. Mm-hmm. Let's say you had an extremely pro- prolific five minutes, which I ha- and I this has happened to me. All
2: so right, so you're typing you and a-
1: I come out and I say, Miss Koo, it's your turn. Turn your phone
2: yes. off. Turn your phone off, please. Now. Before you come and have your x-ray. Right.
1: So I go, oh, my God, okay, so – in that, it may have only been four and a half minutes, so my phone hasn't had time to sync, and now I've turned it off. Ah, okay? and you've lost that so last four and a half minutes. I haven't. I haven't lost it. It's actually still on my phone, but it hasn't oh. had time to sync to the cloud, um, right? So what happens is I come out of the uh, the X-ray and I I forget to turn my phone back on for whatever reason, and I drive home or I go to the library and open my laptop. Let's say, yeah, so i I open my laptop and connect to the internet because I'm on the Wi-fi at the library or whatever yeah, 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 and then my uh that particular document in OneNote yes is uh is doesn't have the last five paragraphs no. Right, so that because I'm at the library for half an hour, it has plenty of opportunity to sync to the cloud. Right? Yes. And the cloud will say will will not have the last five paragraphs. So then I go, no. oh, I got to ring my friend, <laughs> and I tu- I pick up my phone. I turn my phone on. Yes. If I turn my phone on and it then syncs to the cloud. The yes. cloud and and you know sync to the last version of the cloud or whatever. The cloud then oh. will sync to my phone, which will not contain the last five paragraphs. Mm. Mm. It's happened to me. Right. So you're suggesting manually
2: sync before you turn anything off. Yes. If you have okay. been
1: writing in the last, if you've been writing while. all right yeah. Not if you've been writing and then <clears> left it for half an hour or whatever. It's probably synced by then. But even then, I'm so paranoid now. I will I will manually sync okay
2: I think it's a re- I mean I, I think it's um it's a really good point but it's also just a really valid thing to just uh, I like the whole backup thing is mm. so essentially important I mean I have lost you know remember I lost that USB do you remember that drama mm. in my life where I was editing that novel so mm-hmm. I was editing a novel just so that you know where we're at. I was at a um my son was at some all day thing and I was in the um, University of Wollongong library and I was working on my laptop but what I didn't realize was that I was working on the USB like I hadn't mm. saved it to the to the actual computer Hard yeah it was on the USB so mm. I'm you know working away and I had edited it was a, it was a an, a novel that I was working on and it was it was a redraft so I had edited Oh, I reckon by the end of the day, because I'd been there six hours or something, I reckon I'd edited eighty percent of it. Um, wow! And it was, you know, it was a big thing. It was a, um, it was kind of a structural slash copy edit that I was working through, and it had it involved, you know, you know, me always get the start wrong. So I had rewritten the whole start <laughs> of the book, you know, the whole first chapter, yeah. and you know, I was working through, and I'd added in a character which I had had to kind mm. of like all the way through the book. And we did all of that, and um, and then. Um, you know, three o'clock came around. And I had to go get my son. So I shut everything down and somewhere between the library and my son and the car mm-hmm. and home, mm. I lost the USB. All right. So mm. let's all just take a moment to imagine my pain,
0: pain when I went to
2: pull the USB out of my bag so that I could mm. then, you know, work on it. And, and, and I'm thinking, oh, that's okay. Cause it's on my Oh, I couldn't find it, and I'm thinking, "Oh, that's okay. It's on my computer." No, mm. it was not on my computer. It was only mm. on the USB, and so we are talking like, and it really threw me off course because I couldn't even. I just couldn't even psych myself up to um to start again. I put it aside oh. and went off and wrote something else because I just it was just all too hard for me to to. So, anyway, painful. a year later, a year later, <laughs> I found the USB. <laughs> Where was it? It was in my drawer. What I does suspect. In your drawer? Oh, I just you know, I suspect that this is the children factor somewhere along the way. Someone's mm. basic. I mean, I would imagine that someone's picked it up. I've dropped it somewhere. I would say, like some in the car, whatever. Someone's mm. picked it up stashed it, you know, and then, you know, realised at some point that it's not theirs, it's actually mine, and just quietly slipped it back into my drawer so that I wouldn't get cross at whoever it was that had, I mean, this is the thing, when you're in a house with kids, it's like gremlins, yeah, they're a thing, real, they're age 10, And
1: in that year, in that year, had you reworked that manuscript? No, oh. I hadn't. I'd
2: stopped completely with it because two reasons. One was that I was just, you know, so over the whole thing by that stage. Yeah. And The concept of starting it again was just yeah. all too much for me. Um, but oh. also I had sort of like I think I had sort of actual deadlines to write to map maker books. So yes, an actual yes. deadline trumps a, you know, a work in progress. So, I yes. um, yeah, I had done nothing. Anyway. Wow. I've still got it. If anyone would like to encourage me to finish it at some point, feel free. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Edit a book it's, with Al.
2: Oh, no. God, let's not <laughs> do that. Let's not be doing that. <sighs> anyway, so it's, um, you know, just be aware of where your backups are and be aware of what they are um, because, yeah, don't do that. Don't do that to yourself. It's soul-destroying.
1: Yeah. Anyway. Wow. Okay. Hmm. Cool. Well, let's move on then to our... Uh, competition. Oh. So, yes, our competition uh, is you have the opportunity to win a two-book pack. Mm. The Crime Writer by Jill Dawson, a riveting novel that folds a brilliant – that folds (laughs) – Oh, that's right. Just keep reading. You're doing (laughs) fine.
2: A interesting novel that folds a brilliant portrait of Patricia Highsmith into a tale of duplicity, (laughs) madness, and murder.
1: Yes, that's right. Thank you. And also On the Blue Train by Kristen Thornell. What did happen to Agatha Christie during her mysterious 11-day appearance just as she was on the cusp of fame? Yes. Mixing fact and fantasy, an entrancing novel of creativity and grief. So The Crime Writer by Jill Dawson and On the Blue Train by Christelle Thornell. And your competition closes the 7th of August. And for your chance to enter, go to writerscentre.com.au slash win. That's au slash win. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. Our Stage 2 Creative Writing Course, Advanced Fiction Writing Techniques, will help you apply proven methods to your own writing, taking your storytelling to a whole new level. With workshopping and practical exercises focusing on scene development, characters, climax and resolution, it's your perfect next step. Learn online over a few hours each week. You'll even get your own tutor providing personal feedback on your writing. Find out more at writerscentre.com.au slash advanced. Are we ready for the word of the week?
2: (laughs) I I don't know. Like, Given that it could be that word or that other word, I'm a little bit nervous, (laughs) but no, I'm ready. Let's do it.
1: Lacostrine. So, this is thanks to Matthew Morrison, uh, whose uh, handle is acute (laughs) metiosis. For pinging us this word, which he in turn read in a tweet by Rog McFarlane, so uh, who is a writer, uh, lacustrine usually refers to things like plants or animals that usually live or occur on in lakes. Now, if you're wondering how do you spell it, it's L-A-C-U-S-T-R-I-N-E, lacustrine. Ooh. So you might say that you might say something like, "Oh, that's a lacustrine plant." You know, if it's the sort of plant you'd find while you're hanging out at the lake, say. There you go. Right. I haven't heard of that before. Yeah, no, it's a new word to me too. Thank you very much for sharing, Matthew Morrison. Yes, thank you, Matthew Morrison. All right, now, who is our writer in residence this week?
2: Well, this week we are talking to Louise Park. Now, you guys might remember a few episodes ago we had a chat to Marisa Pintado and she was talking about series fiction for for children. So we're talking early readers and we mentioned Zach Power, we mentioned Boy versus Beast mm. um, and a couple of others. And these are sort of early chapter books. They're very um, focused on literacy. They can be a great place for people to, um, you know, to break into children's writing. Like if you, if uh, you know, they, don't, they come out under a pseudonym, generally speaking. Well, Louise Park... Um, is one of those names – she should be a household name because she is one mm. of the series creators of the Zach Power Test Drive series and anyone who's got a boy aged, you know, sort of 14 down has probably had Zach Power in their life at some point. Um, mm. She's also one of the creators of Boy vs. B She writes Harriet Clare under her own name and they have. she has a new series coming out that's just come out called D-Bot Squad, which is another – it's under the pseudonym Mac Park, um, which is another um, – you know, early reader chapter series, which is going to go gangbusters. Now, um, Louise is a publisher. She's a series creator. She's an author. She used to work um, in publishing. She's also been a teacher. She's got all of the skills when it comes to creating these fantastic series. And the thing that makes them amazing is that they are so compulsively – readable for for kids who are not necessarily you know who are starting out with reading are not particularly confident um but are you know building skills as they go so we had a fantastic chat about you know what it takes to create a series like this um what's involved in it and you know um uh, you know all of those you know great random questions like that so i hope you guys enjoy Louise Park is a best-selling children's author under her own name, as well as three pseudonyms. She draws from a strong background in education, literacy, and publishing to produce blockbuster series, including Harriet Clare, Zach Power Test Drive, Boy vs. Beast, and her new series, Debot under the pseudonym Mac Park, with total sales of over 3 million books. So welcome to the program, Louise. Thank you so much for popping along when you're obviously a very, very, very busy writer.
0: Um, (laughs) Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Um,
2: So let's go back to the beginning. How did you get started in publishing and writing? I mean, how did we get to this point? Give us your journey.
0: Oh, my journey is an interesting one. Uh, So going right back to when I was about seven years old, that was when I won my first writing competition and I won a book called Tell Me Why. And I think ever since then I've wanted to write, but I I got to high school and was um, quickly, quickly told that I didn't have the potential and that I should think about going into education and maybe teaching and maybe preschool teaching. Huh? Mm, so I didn't know about that. And at 17, I really didn't know what I should do. So I just stumbled into primary school teaching and... That journey, I think, has taken me to where I really wanted to be. So I did primary teaching for a little while, quickly realised that literacy was my biggest passion, moved across into teaching what used to be called back then and now you'll be able to work out how old I am. Back then it used to be called uh, the New Arrivals Programme, so it was children who had just literally arrived in the country, had no English, and I was teaching them how to read and write in their second language. I moved from that to... um, to working with teachers, educating teachers. And at at about the same time, I started moving into publishing. So I've had a relationship with Scholastic probably since 1989. I think my first book was published with them a long time. I worked with them and I, I left in about 2004. And when I left, I was the general manager and publisher of the education division. Right. So a very strong bent in literacy and I left to go out on my own Uh, and I've been writing and packaging and publishing ever since. Wow. So that's my journey yeah. So
2: when you said you moved across from teaching into publishing how did you do that?
0: Uh, Initially I I was running in service program there were two things that happened I was running in service programs for teachers and Scholastic had an in-service arm where they would do seminars for for teachers and I began speaking speaking for them doing that. But I also was uh, – I'd had two books published with them and I was doing a heck of a lot of their teaching notes and a whole pile of stuff on a freelance basis and I just slowly moved into full-time and okay. then had a career there.
2: So the, the kinds of books that you were writing in those early days were more sort of uh, education-based, what, non-fiction stuff?
0: Uh, fiction and non-fiction. So I worked on uh, a lot of people out there that, if their children have gone through primary school, they will probably remember Bookshelf. I was involved with um, that program, uh, Reading Discovery, which was a, another massively successful reading program. Fiction and non-fiction. I worked on the Omnibus Solos, Going Solo titles, and you know, lots and lots and lots of things. Wow. Uh,
1: Okay, yeah, one of the
0: I think one of the most fantastic things about Scholastic is that when you work there, like most publishing houses, probably there's there's just always seems to be not enough staff, and you end up doing just about everybody else's, you know, lots and lots of different jobs. So by the time you've been there for a couple of years, you just have such such a great grounding and background in publishing. It's just one of the best places to work to have a grounding and a sense of what what the industry is about because you're just across so many things.
2: All right, so so when you started like writing your own stuff, like your own fiction, were you writing serious fiction right from the start? Because obviously, serious fiction is um, where you're probably best known under your you know pseudonyms and all of that sort of stuff.
0: Yes, yes, I've always I, I've never really worked on standalone books. I've always worked on series fiction and I think that comes from working in strands on big reading programs because there'll always be 10 or 12 books under a certain thi- you know, a certain area or level or whatever. So I'm just used to working across a number of titles at once.
2: Okay, so can you explain a little bit about the process of creating and writing series fiction? We spoke to um, a few episodes ago, we spoke to Marisa Pintado and she was telling us a little bit about, Um, you know some of the series that she has worked on as a publisher Um, but like how do authors how do aspiring authors get into the air into it and what actually happens like how does it work because obviously like Zach power test drive it comes out under a pseudonym but there are different or the whole you know Zach power franchise really comes out under Mm. pseudonyms but there are um, a pseudonym but there are a whole range of different writers who are working across it so how how does it actually work
0: that's right. So, um, interestingly, I'm probably going to digress slightly here when I answer this Feel question, free. but
2: <laughs> we love a digression. We're all we're all over them.
0: So, the, the concept creator of Zach Power, the court Zach Power, was Susanna McFarland, who at the time was the managing director of Hardy Grand Egmont, and uh, I had been doing some work with her when I was at Scholastic. Mm-hmm. And when I went out on my own, I started doing some more work with her. Once she, once she had kind of created that Corsac, she wanted a team of authors to write. Uh, so Hardy Grine-Egmont owns the pseudonym H.R. Larry and everybody writes under that pseudonym. So she'd kind of crafted that and she went out looking for authors and interestingly she wanted authors that weren't that well-known. This, oh, this is what she says to me. that I'm just telling you what I know from, okay. from her. Okay. So I think she went to RMIT and places like that and just had people submit chapters and have a look and see what, what their writing was like and to see if they could sustain it across the series and she she went with that. So there are some writers there who probably got their first break and it was a massively big break because we all know what Zach is like. So absolutely fantastic and hats off to her for, you know, willing to give people a go who weren't necessarily a big name. Then she came to me and she said, I want to do what she used to call it, light, Zach, and I said, if you keep calling it light, Zach, I'm going to hit you. (laughs) <laughs> you've got to stop it yeah. because because that you know when when kids are learning to read and acquiring literacy, it is so critical. It is so important, and yeah. it's a make or break moment. And I, I really believe that. And you've got to get it right. You've got to get what's going on between those covers exactly right, or it just falls over. It doesn't work. And there are, there are plenty of examples of that out there where it just hasn't worked simply because it hasn't. The, the environment within the covers just has not been. Controlled tightly enough. So she said, "You know, would you would you be willing to do something like that?" And I said, "Yeah, sure." So I actually started working on Zach Power test drives and did all of those. Oh, then awesome. she, uh, yeah, I wrote all of them. I wrote wow. all of Zach Power test drives, all of Zach Power spy recruits. So, oh. yeah, so quite so quite a lot. In the middle of me doing that particular project, she left Hardy Ground Egmont, and um, I had not long left Scholastic. And the two of us joined forces together, which is the Mac Park. So she's Susanna MacFarlane, oh, of course. Yeah, which I thought, yeah, they yeah, really clever. Take a bit of her name and a bit of my name, and we'll have this pseudonym Mac Park. I told my children this, and they said, Mum, really, you sound like an order from McDonald's, a Mac Park.
2: <laughs> I liked it. I didn't even I think of that. <laughs>
0: I oh, no! I thought it was good too. So, so when we joined forces, um, we did Boy vs Beast. That was that was Mac Park's first big venture, and of course now Mac Park has just bought out Dbot Squad, which is the next, the next thing. But he definitely stays in that space to capture boys, engage them with reading, and make sure they don't fall through the literacy. You know, that literacy hole.
2: So, how many do you have? Do you plan sort of like so you like with Boy vs Beast and D Bot Squad, for example? Have you planned how many books are going to be in that series before you start? Um, do absolutely. You, do you work out the whole narrative arc for the entire series before you begin?
0: Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. And I I, I do it with everything just about except Harriet Claire. She's the only one. So my my first trade series fiction it was a quasi fiction was called Smarty Cat which I did with Jeanette Rowe mm-hmm. and we and we knew straight away we were going to do 12 wow. and that was how it was going to be and we brainstormed the 12 and we went through it when I did Stargirl which was done under my own name I knew there were going to be 16 I planned the 16 and I had the arc that went right through and did it but I got to the end and the publisher was saying oh, we want you to leave it open just in case you want to go for another four <laughs> so I was like, this is this is two years I've had this, you know, this is what's going to happen to her in book 16, and I had to kind of leave it open. Wow. Which, you know, it was fine. It was okay. In Boy vs. Beast, we worked in batches. It was a little different. We worked in batches of four. So we had the first four books were core beasts of earth, wind, fire, and what am I missing? Earth, wind, fire. Water. And water. Yeah. Yes, thank you. Yeah, I
2: just had to think about that
0: and so in the next four we combined them to make border beasts so oh, earth yeah. mixed with fire and you know so on and then in the next four we had mutants <laughs> and then in the in the final four we had mega mutants where everything was just so mashed up it was a mess so we kind of had that structure laid out for those 16 and that's been left there so that if we want to go back to what we can, we've kind of produced a border guard team towards the end, but the team hasn't actually joined. So there is isn't there is opportunity to go back if we want to, but it is also a neatly wrapped up package of sixteen that we knew we would do from the start. Wow. D-bot so- Squad was always going to be eight books. It's a cliffhanger ending between every book. You read one to eight and it's all contained in one day. It all happens on the book parade day at school. All
2: right. <laughs> Okay, yeah. and the first four of those are are all out now, is that right?
0: They're out now, Yeah.
2: Okay, and when will the second four of those drop, so to speak?
0: The, the, the next two come in September, I think, September, yeah. and then the following two, I'm not sure, I would have to go and look. Maybe oh, that's no. okay.
2: But they're sort of like s- spread out a little bit basically from, so the first four are, are out and then they come in twos after that? Yes. Yeah, yes. okay. Yes. All right, so as far as this goes, like, do you guys like come up with the idea for the series – and then pitch that into a publisher? Is that how it works as far as, you know, this kind of creation of series fiction like this?
0: Uh, it kind of works both ways. We actually, Susanna and I created a little a little company called Stories, Inc., which is, which is the two of us creating series fiction. Right. So we pitched the concept of Boy vs. Beast to Scholastic. They loved it and that was a done deal. Yeah. Um, then we set up Stories Inc. While we were thinking, what will Mac Park do next? Uh, Alan and Umun came to us and said, you know, we'd like to talk about some serious fiction and working together with you. We pitched three concepts, of which Dbot Squad was one, and we all wanted to run with Debot Squad. But by the time we, it's it's interesting when you when when you're developing story arcs and pitches for series. Of the three that we were developing. We were completely in love with Debot Squat, um, and in our heads, we were going to do it regardless of whether Alan and no the one were interested in that particular one or not. So right. <laughs> but it just it just seemed to jump out. You know when you get just one just lends itself really well, you're just running with it and it's working. So that was always going to happen. So we work in different ways, um, depending on a publisher's needs. Sometimes we'll just pitch ourselves. we we're working on something at the moment that we intend to pitch and we'll probably pitch that to another first. one first. Okay. Uh, but, but, yeah, publishers come to us and say, so, you know, we've got a whole with like a girls' series, what have you got, and we'll come up with some ideas and pitch or else we'll just do our own thing.
2: Okay. And if, like if I was an aspiring author and I was interested in getting into this kind of area, how, how would I go about it?
0: Into the area of writing serious fiction? Yeah, this
2: kind of serious fiction.
0: I, if you're an aspiring author and it's what you really want to do, the first thing I would do is uh, what I call my reconnaissance and I'd get yourself into as many bookshops and sit on the floor of those bookshops for as long as you can, going through all of the series fiction that really works and having a good look at, you know, what is there, what is claiming the space, why it's claiming the space and where the holes are mm. and come up with something to fill a hole. Okay. Mm. And to read read a lot of successful series fiction to see how it goes.
2: So, a lot of the series that you're we're talking about here are for those early readers, as you say. We're kind of trying to capture that, trying trying to get them off to a good start. So, what are the constraints of this market? Like, what what are the kinds of? The, I mean, obviously, vocab and and complexity and all of those things have to be something that you have to consider every step of the way. But yet, you've still got to create exciting stories. Like what? How? So how mm. do you do that? How do you navigate the constraints and still make a great story? It's
0: it, it, surprisingly. I know people will pick up the books and think, "Gosh, these are easy. I could do these." And it is surprisingly hard because mm. the constraints are just about crippling, and that's where my education background comes in because I've been crafting leveled readers for so long Mm. and it's just a matter of um delivering a fantastic story that you know boys will want to pick up and get lost in and delivering that controlled reading environment that they don't even know about you kind of wrap it up Susanna has this phrase and I don't know how I feel about it because I've spent all my life doing literacy but she has this phrase it's musically dressed up as Cocoa Pops so (laughs) I, I
2: love it. I, I know absolutely love it. That is
0: fantastic. So, but I get to be the muesli, don't I? I don't get to be the pun, so I get to be the muesli. So I'm in there, you know, secretly laying all the groundwork to make sure that this grand yummy cocoa pops delivers so that they have reading the fibre that they need. Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah okay. so that
0: they have reading success. So that's kind of that that's my that's my big job to make sure that I'm delivering the reading success. So
2: And do you do that at the editing stage? Like, how do you do that? Like, in the sense of, I do it from the word go. Okay,
0: absolutely from the word go. So, um, but once I start, this is this is how we work because it's quite mad how we work. Yeah, I'm
2: interested (laughs) in how you work. I'm just wondering how Muesli and Cocoa Pops come together.
0: (laughs) I know, I know. So, well, she's in Victoria and I'm in Sydney. Can you can you
2: can you do some kind of like writing, you know, seminar about this? Call it Muesli and Cocoa Pops. We'll all come.
0: I know, that's her favourite phase. It, it, it is really lovely. Yeah. So how <laughs> we do you work? We do do some stuff together. But anyway, this is how we work. And it, it's quite, quite funny when I go off because I work, go off and work on my own as well. But, you know, anyway, so she's in Victoria and I'm in Sydney and we get on Skype and we just have these insane three-hour Skype sessions where you're absolutely rolling over laughing and, you know, trying to brainstorm. And I, I'm sure people must wonder what on earth we do for a job. <laughs> <laughs> So like boy versus beast, for example, we kind of fell into this pattern where, um, you know, for everybody out there who doesn't know boy versus beast, there's a little boy who lives in the lighthouse. He has a dog bot. Beasts are breaking through the border wall into earth. He needs, he needs to keep earth safe. He needs to keep the beasts out and put them back into beastium. And so he goes, on the, he goes to beastium and he battles beasts and he makes sure they stay in their world. And <laughs> we come up with the idea. Okay, great. So then we're down to the – we've got the whole kind of – overarching story plan, but we're down to what's going to happen in each book. So we'll go book by book and we'll get on Skype. And we'd fallen into this pattern where she was always the beast and I was always the boy. <laughs> that makes things, sense. Like, you know, oh, I'm coming at you and when I flap my wings, a wall of fire is going to come down on you and you're going to go spinning back to earth with your stupid little dog pot. And I'll be like, hmm, huh, I can take care of that. I've got this jetpack on on, you know, I've got this backpack on my back with a never-ending source of water, really, really, really turbo-firing water jets here. You are just going to be a puff of smoke in no time. You're going back to Beastium. Take that. And sometimes she'll say, hmm, I need a cup of tea. have <laughs> 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 done it. You've got nothing. You've got nothing. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I win. I know, I know. It is pathetically just about that. (laughs) I win, I win. And I'm the one who's madly, you know, we we get the notes down and then I'm the one who goes and actually writes up the story. And invariably when I go to write the story, we have these massive holes. And I'm like, what is this? What's going on here? And then I have to make up all this stuff. So when I send it back to her to have a read, I say, look, you know, as usual we had loads and loads of holes here, so there's a lot of stuff that you're not going to know about that I just put in there because I had to. I had to do it, and so then we we just kind of go backwards and forwards until we have it exactly the way we like it, and then and then the heavy duty editing starts, okay. and that's how we work on wow. uh, by book by book basis, and it was quite funny because um book seven of D-Bot Squad, so we've done a lot of books together, mm. and I think it was book seven. I was off touring and you know doing doing festivals or something and I just couldn't write it and so Susanna had to write it and she, she sends me this email while I'm away saying, oh, there are quite a few holes in um, our notes. And <laughs> Funny that. right back, welcome to my world. Oh, no. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. No. Oh, dear.
2: So how many words is each book like when you're writing a book like that? Um,
0: depends on the level. Mm-hmm. Depends on the level. So Boy vs. Beast, I haven't written one for a while, but I've got a funny feeling they sit at about 4,000 words. Okay. Equal Squad's probably about two and a half. Okay. Uh, Stargirl was 6,000 words. Stargirl's more year three, four. Yeah. So it, dep- it depends on the reading level I'm going after. Okay. But But, te- you know, I've, I've really got to pertain, when I'm writing, I've really got to pertain to sentence length. Yeah. I've really got to pertain to... Uh, the right balance of high-frequency words and vocab, how I introduce new vocab, how I ensure that when new words are met, they're consolidated so I reuse them fairly quickly. Soon after, there are so many. I have less and less and less of rules.
2: Wow.
0: So So you actually sit there
2: with your high-frequency words and the words you've introduced and where they've got to go back in and you're actually going through looking at patterns and things like that as well.
0: Because I've been doing it for so long, I don't really need to have a list of words anymore. But uh, for example, when I started working with Alan and Unwin, I had to kind of go through all of that with um, the person who was going to be editing in Alan and Unwin because, you know, I I learned very quickly. The first one went in and um, it would would come back and my nice, you know, six or seven word sentences had been turned into 25 word sentences sort of thing and they read beautifully. They read absolutely beautifully but they couldn't stay. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh so, you know, that was a learning curve which was great and and it's just been wonderful working, working with Elise, absolutely wonderful because she's just brilliant. And, you know, we both had a lot of fun and not long ago she said to me, did you hate me on book one? And I said, no, not at all. What? I hated myself for not thinking because I've been doing it for so long, for not actually thinking, okay, Elise probably hasn't done anything like this. I better hand over all my rules and guidelines so that she knows where I'm coming. I just didn't think about it because I'm so used to doing it myself. Yeah. And normally we edit and package in. Um, mm, the whole so- yeah, so the publisher just gets print-ready files at the end, whereas this this deal was different, where the editorial and the design was taken in-house. Very different for us, and it's been absolutely wonderful. But I just completely forgot, and I should have I, sh- I just should have explained everything to her before I started. But I was just in my own little world doing my thing, like I do, and yeah. It's interesting. But there, there is so much to pertain to. People would yeah, people would die
2: and how many how many books i mean like we're talking lots of books here how many books do you write a year like what is your actual like how when you when you say you know you you take away the notes and you sit down and write them what's your mm. process like are you doing you know are you just sitting and writing every single day i mean you know like you've got to get a few fair few books out each year so how do you do it
0: i do i do spend a lot of time writing my year if i described my year it would be divided into three chunks mm-hmm. i one chunk is writing, another chunk is going into schools and uh, you know, doing author days and festivals and, and things like that. And the third chunk would be administration, um, doing blogs and all those sorts of things, promoting your books, working with publishers on upcoming proposals and, and things like that. So that, that, that would be the way my year is split. I've probably, uh, I, I, I've had really hideous years where I've done like 20 books which would include education. I'm did i I'm still doing lots of big educational projects oh. and that's kind of, uh, it's, it's, that's tough. Oh, that's and a lot is, of books. So I've, I've, I've pared back. I'm doing less education now. This year, for example, I will, but I'm, I quite often work across a number of things. So at the moment I'm still working on the edits of seven of eight seven and eight of d squad i'm working on a harriet claire and i'm working on a new middle fiction reader and we're developing a new proposal so all of those things are going on at the same time right so will That's, you i'm a full-time operator
2: you're a full-time operator but we're also like we're, we're sort of moving in towards august now which of course is you know book week seems to stretch from about you know the the end of July to the start of September these days, but do mm. you is that is that when you do a lot of your school visits is do do you chunk them into sections or are you sort of doing one a week i mean how because of the management of that time i mean I know just from going and doing them because it 's not just the you know, you've got to be ready to go. You have to have your workshops all set up or whatever it is that you're going to do. You turn up, you do your stuff. There's generally a whole day gone there. But it's also, it's quite draining. So there's isn't that it? exhaustion.
0: It's exhausting, isn't yeah, it? It and is exhausting. It's so, like a performance, that's why. Is, and yeah. And by and large, we're reclusive little authors, aren't we? Mm, so <laughs> it exactly. is. It's really, it's it's exhausting. Yeah. I... Uh, I it's a really hard one to manage because you don't have control over what schools are thinking and doing.
2: Yeah,
0: The bookings just turn up and yeah. you can either just say yes or no. So for example, I've got, at the moment, I've been really head down, bum up in my bear cave writing for July because I know that I am fully booked from August right through to the third week in September. Wow. School visit. So that's that's a really big chunk. But Prior to that, like I was at Newcastle Writers Festival in March, and you know, other things come along, and uh, I've sort of had a, a school booking maybe once a month in the quiet months. So they schools don't always want you in that hectic period. Mm. I'm going to see how this goes, this this next chunk, uh, and and see if I want to pare it back a little bit. But it's it's just so great. It's so great to to, to interact with your audience and get out there and be with the kids and mm. and the teachers. And it's it's invaluable. Uh, and and I think if you don't have that, I would feel that I wouldn't be fresh as a writer if I didn't have that constant contact with mm. my target audience. I just love it. Mm. But you're right; it is tiring. Like, and, and you, you sort of get to the fourth or f- fifth day in a row, and you just don't want to talk to anybody when no. you come out. No. No talk.
2: And then you have to get <laughs> up and do four workshops back to back. <laughs> what What do you think? Like, what would your you know, if you for aspiring children's authors or new children's authors, what would be your number one tip for making a successful school visit?
0: Oh, a successful school visit. Mm. Uh, Definitely speak to the speak to the booking person, Mm. and the booking person is quite often the librarian. Mm. And when you ask what they want, at the end, very politely, at the end, when the librarian tells you what what she wants, then say, "And are the teachers happy with that? Or you know, what would the teachers like? Because invariably, it's very different." Mm. What what the (laughs) are hoping to get out of a session and what the librarian is hoping the session will deliver, there can be a disconnect. In some schools they've obviously spoken really well, but in other schools not so much. I've been into schools where, um, you know, the teachers have seen something and said, oh, I thought you were going to do a writing workshop. I really wanted that one. I thought, well, if you had a time, I would have done it. Mm. But I didn't realise. So in terms of you know, in terms of being really successful, you really want to know what they want so that you're giving them what they want. As well as making it highly engaging for uh, the students, and I think involving involving the students as much as possible, letting them have a chance to talk and um, and do things because they are sitting down on their bottoms for you know an hour, yeah. and they're really really excited and they just want to they just want to know things and you know I mean the, the funny questions that they come out with so to just sort of go in and talk at them for an hour kind of leaves them out of the equation almost mm. so I think if you think about how you're going to involve them make it as interactive as possible I always when I go into a when I go into a school and I'm put in a in a, in a big room or a hall mm. I always ask for an aisle down the center and I I am up and down that aisle with a microphone in and out of their rows You know, putting a microphone under their mouths, just involving them, so that not only I get to hear what they're saying or contributing or asking, everybody else does, and they know that I'm 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 in there, I'm right in the crowd. Mm. So
2: they're not hiding at the back. You're seeing them, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. What about online stuff? Do you do much in the way of building an author platform, you know, online, or do is it mostly through those promote, you know, through school visits and festivals and that sort of promotion stuff?
0: I wish I was good at doing things online, but I just get so confused. <laughs> I get so confused. Oh, here's an example, right? So up until about a year ago, I didn't have an Instagram. I still don't have a Twitter. I had a Facebook page and it was just for family and people overseas, so I could see their photos. So it was it's very tight and it's not even my – it's my first name and my middle name, not even my last name. I went to – I went to a you know a, a seminar thing at Harper Collins where they were talking about social media and how and what you need to do and I was kind of hiding because at that point I literally had nothing you know <laughs> I, I had a family page on Facebook which was just oh. so bad so I went away and I opened up an Instagram account and then I heard you speak and I, I've, I've, you know, you pertain to that too. It's social, and so make sure you're putting some social things on there and all that sort of stuff. So last week, I want to, I want my website to be redone. So last week I engaged the services of a, what I think is a good group. He gets on my Instagram. He's looking for me on Twitter. He's looking for me on Facebook. And then he gets on my Instagram and he goes, oh, "I don't know, Louise. Why are you mixing this up? You're mixing up the personal with the professional." I said, "Because I was told to." <laughs> like um, no I think you should keep this completely professional and have a different Instagram account if you want to post with your friends and, and all of that. So I was getting all this conflicting information about what it should be and what it shouldn't be. And and then he said, "Why don't you have a Twitter account?" And I said, "I uh, I just want to write. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't maybe, know what to do with
2: it." Maybe Twitter we should account. talk about this later. Um, <laughs> I think I think the thing uh, to think about with it, but just just while we're here having this discussion, is you know, um with your Instagram is that is to is to pick a couple of aspects of your personal you know, of, of, of that you're happy to share. So you're not necessarily mm. wanting to share your family stuff or whatever. But, like, if you have a look at mine, for example, I will share my dog, my garden, um, mm. you know, that kind of stuff. So it becomes a part of, of what people understand about you as an author. So you would choose a few different things out of your life. Like perhaps, you know, if you walk on the beach every day, you might share that. Or if you, um, mm. you know, it's that – it's more – when I say be social, be personal, it's what am I happy to share with the, with the greater world about my, you know, that, that sort of that's that tells people a little bit about who I am but not doesn't necessarily give away the whole farm, if you know what I'm right. saying.
0: Right, yeah, right. So, yeah. Okay. So that's yeah. kind of
2: what, you know, it's, it's that idea of, um, you know, what sort of things do I share? I share, yeah, and I share books I'm reading or music I'm listening to so people get a sense of who I am as a person but – not right. my whole yeah. life online, yep. so to speak.
0: Yep. Yeah, I share books I'm reading as it well. But um, do you think it works? <laughs> do you think social media Honestly, works? Honestly,
2: yes, I do. Uh, okay, honestly, right. I do. Yeah. I think as far as um, building a profile for yourself, as, of giving people, of taking you as an author off the page and into people's lives, and giving yeah. them a sense of, of you as a person, um, and a, and a sense of um, you know who they're who they're getting books from and who's writing the books. Absolutely, I do think it works. Yes. Um, oh wow! Well, otherwise, well, I wouldn't I'll be out there talking get better about
0: lesson. it.
2: You know, I'm, I'm just I'm just sharing a small piece small of advice. Anyway, speaking of advice, yes. my last question for you today is your three top tips for aspiring authors.
0: What well, my three top tips for aspiring authors, I think, I kind of touched on this before, I think if you want to write, know who you're writing for, know that audience, get in there and be with them. It's not enough just to think that, you know, I want to write for 10-year-olds and, oh, I, I remember what being a ten year old was like, won't cut it. you need to you need to get in amongst them. you need to get in amongst your target audience. and you need to share your writing with them in the developing phases and get their feedback because they're going to be your toughest critic mm-hmm. and you want them you want them to be addicted to your books and waiting for the next one to come out. Mm-hmm. and the best way to know you're hitting the mark is to hear from you know direct from the horse's mouth. So know you know who your target market is. Then, as I said, go into stores anywhere you can where you can see books and look and look and see who your competition is, what they're doing right, where there's a gap, and and go for that gap. Try and try and fill that gap. So that would be my first tip.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: My second tip would be uh, to join as many worthwhile industry organisations as you can. So um, at at these organisations, you can get access to. Uh, published authors who are willing to share their advice and their steps along their way. You can get access to um, publishers where you might be able to pitch a story or you might be able to have a session where you get some feedback to help you continue working on that manuscript. Uh, You know, they they, they have a lot to offer. They offer offer really good courses, validated courses. So, you know, Squibby, the um, Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators, the Australian Writers' Centre, um, the Australian Society of Authors, established established places. They're invaluable. So mm-hmm. join as many of them as you can and make use of everything that they offer to you because it will help. Mm-hmm. It will help. And it will help get you out there and it will help get you in front of people you want to be in front of. My last one, I'd say, was to have uh, to have a really good writers group that you can work with. So, a group of friends who want to write and keep writing. Maybe you some groups meet once a week, some groups meet once a month, but you have something you're working on. You know, you've got to have a certain amount finished by that meeting. Um, it's a it's a criticism free zone, but it's a lot of constructive advice. So you read, you share, you talk it apart, you um, look at plot holes and fill them in. And it will keep you going to to get to your end game of having something written. So, I'd say they're mine. Yeah. yeah.
2: Excellent. Very, very good. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Louise. Really appreciate it, and I'm sure that our listeners do. Um, if you would like to find out more about Louise and her books, you can visit her at louisepark.com.au. Um, and, yeah, best of luck with your new series, D-Bot Squad, and also with all of those various thousand things that you have in the pipeline.
0: <laughs> thank you so much, and thanks for having me. It was fun. I hope I hope our listeners find it useful.
2: I'm sure they will.
0: Yeah. Thanks, Alison.
1: Oh wow, that was cool. Um what an interesting comment from Louise about building your author platform though. I oh, no, I had to <laughs> laugh. Um, look, internally I was giggling hysterically really.
2: But yeah, look I look it's I don't think that um Louise is alone in in uh, wondering whether or not yeah. um it's worth taking the time to actually put into social media and to building your profile. Mm. But um it's one of those situations where you know the thing with Louise is that she's the author of you know, so many amazing series and she's sold so many books but nobody really knows her name because, you know, there are so many pseudonyms in her life and, um, you know, as I um, pointed out to her and particularly afterwards we had quite a long conversation about it, Um, you know, it's it's the kind of thing where – getting people getting to know you as the creator of those works is incredibly valuable um particularly if you do as a as an author if you do want to go to if you do want to speak at festivals and and you'd like to get more work you know speaking in schools and all of that sort of stuff um people need to know who you are and Mm. one of the best ways to do that with you know, where the investment is mostly time, um, you know, as opposed to having to spend big bucks, which, you know, do an advertising campaign or whatever. Um, social media is a great way to do that. And of course, the other thing we talked about there was, you know, this business of, you know, putting some personality and some personal into your, into your social media without necessarily, you know, giving away the farm, so to speak. And, um, So the advice to her there is to basically, you know, you choose a few things that you think represent you as an author, like the kinds of things you're passionate about, the things you're interested in, things that people will start to associate with you that don't necessarily, like they don't give away your whole life, but they give people a little bit of an insight into your life. So, um, you know, obviously I have my my trusty friend, Procrasty Pup. Mm-hmm. I have the garden. I have, you know, I live down on the south coast, so you know, I I, I share photos of the beach and things like that. Um, mm-hmm. I do a lot of reading, so there's always going to be books, writing, that kind of stuff. So you you kind of you build a bit of a picture of what your life is about without necessarily um, putting up photos of your family or whatever, you know. Yeah. So, um, and I think it's it's a uh, there's a uh, in the Build Your Author platform course we do a mind mapping exercise which is all about that. It's all about working out what things you're passionate about, what things you're happy sharing, what are the sort of things that represent you as an author and as a um, as a brand, so to speak, yes. that you're that you're happy to put out there into the world and that you want people to associate with you. Um, mm. And once you've once you've done an exercise like that, once you've actually put some thought into it, um, it's amazing how much easier it then is to actually you know to to do the Instagram and to do Facebook mm. and to actually put those images together, and when you 're out and about, you snap a photo you don 't have to put it up straight away, but you 've got something there that maybe you want to put up you know next time you that you plan to um, to post or maybe if you if you know even a week down the track when it 's relevant to something else that you 're doing, keep a little bit of a catalog of photos that mm. you can use you know you don 't have to do it straight away um, and you can schedule. Um, with Instagram and obviously Facebook, is, um, you can definitely schedule, um, Twitter, all of those things. So it doesn't have to be an onerous task. If you have a plan in your mind, it's this whole yeah. ha- hazards, you know, random approach. Oh, I have to do this, but I don't really know what I'm doing kind of thing that takes up way too much of your mental space. Whereas if you have a plan, you know what you're doing, you see things and think, ah, that fits what I'm trying to achieve. I'll take a photo of that, or I'll do a post about that, or I'll share that article or whatever. You know what you're looking for, but you, you need to actually put some thought into what it is and how it is that you want to represent yourself. And once you do that, that, um it is so much easier.
1: I love it. Yeah. Words mm. from the master, because mm. Alison certainly knows what it takes to build an author platform. And if you want to build your author platform, remember that you should not wait until your book is released. Start mm. building it way before your book is released, even while you're still writing it, even while it's a mere thought in your brain that you want to, you know, build your author platform or eventually become an author. Because the sooner you start, the better it will be. And if you want a roadmap on exactly how to do that, then make sure you check out Alison's course, How to Build Your Author Platform. So you can find out more about that, writercenter.com.au/ slash platform. That's writercentre.com.au slash platform. All right. So what's happening in the coming week for you, Al? Well, clearly I'll be hashtag writing a book with Al,
2: so there'll yes. be a bit of that going on. Um, Definitely. What else are we doing? Um, just, yeah, just getting on with stuff. Um, book Boy has a radio interview later this week, so, you know, he's oh, wow. gearing up for that. Celeb. Yes. Oh,
1: yeah, he's just all over it. Um <laughs>
2: So you know, there's that kind of thing going on, but yeah, we're just
1: you know. Tracking I have the and- honour, though, of what wasn't I his first interviewer? You were. You yeah. were in fact his first <laughs> good practice run for
2: him. I said, you know, she's going to be tough on you. She won't. You know, she'll use if you give her the quote, she'll use the quote. Be yes. happy with the quote. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, it's it's an important skill. How to it is.
1: Definitely, definitely. Mm. All right. Well, I'm pretty excited because we have just launched our new course, Short Story Essentials. Lots of lots of people have enrolled and uh, for those people who have enrolled, you they have the opportunity to, of course, write their own short story. We guide you step-by-step step into writing your own 2,500-word short story because that's a good length for quite a lot of the comp- short story competitions that are out there at the moment and you also have the opportunity to. Get feedback from your online tutor on that very short story. So, uh, mm. on, on that exactly on that, um, on that, what I, I'm not articulate today, am I, Al? No, not very really. I, I
2: think it's a hangover from all that art you did last I week. I think so. I think so. <laughs> the abstract art has impeded your abstract thoughts.
1: <laughs> I reckon. So, I think that's a sign. I'm not even going to talk about the rest of the things on my list. I think that's a sign. It's time to go. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. Where do we find you online, Al? You'll find me at alisontait.com, Alison
2: A-double-L-I-S-O-N-T-A-I-T.com. You'll find me on uh, Twitter at at Al Tate A-L-T-A-I-T. And you will find me on Facebook and Instagram at Alison tate Writer. Um, and just a reminder that if you do want to join in, write a book with Al, mm. that the Facebook page, Alison Tate Writer, is probably the best spot for you to, to go. And
1: Fantastic. you, Val, where do we find you? You'll find me at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O, on Twitter and Instagram. And, of course, feel free to connect with me on Facebook as well. You'll find me, uh, just search for Valerie Koo, and I am the one in Sydney. And in the meantime, thanks for listening, everyone. Hopefully I'll be more articulate next time, and we look forward to catching up with you then. Bye.